respect for you, for the challenges you're facing right now, for the trials of life, the difficulties of it. I'm getting to see it in a different way, um, being a parent of a teenager and uh, getting to really respect the kind of battles you got to fight. So I am honored to get to be with you. Take your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 10. Let the boat pass. Perfect. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking predominantly at verse 17 through verse 20 tonight. But I want to start with asking you just to do a little exercise. So if you have your note paper, get out your paper and your pen. And I'm going to ask you to write down four words that you say describe you. Four words that are characteristic of you. You could choose uh, verbs or you choose adjectives, things that you do or things that you are, that these are like the four words that are your identity, okay? So write them down. You don't have to share them. Don't ask anyone's opinion. This is just a simple exercise. You could say you're the introvert, you're the extrovert, you're the gamer, you're the lifeguard, you're the creative, you're the athletic, you're the chef, you're smart, you're brave, lonely, curious, influencer, you're a YouTuber, uh, you're beautiful, you're depressed, you're scared, you're the adrenaline junkie, like whatever you are, okay? Take a second, write them down. And then I'm going to ask who's brave enough to say them. Let's hear a little bit, okay? I'm going to call on you if no one's brave enough, but you got this. So write them down. Give me four words. Who do you think you are? Who do you say that you are? Got it? Okay, who's brave enough to say it? Give me an example. What are four words that describe you? I'm going to ask Shay, but let's see who you got. Give me four words that describe you. I know what his are. Anybody willing? Jimmy, you're willing to put on a shirt. You're second. Yes, what you got? Here we go. Funny, kind, cute, and silly. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's great. Somebody else. If you won the cold shirt contest, what you got? Jimmy, what you got? I'm calling you out. Did you do four words? No. (laughs) Your buddies will sign them to you. Someone else. We got one brave person here. Who else? Come on, give me something. Besides boats going by. Nobody else. Anybody else willing to give me four words that describe it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Perfect. You got some brave women here. This is great. Guys, anybody willing to come up with four words that describe you? What you got? You guys back here. (laughs) All right. What else you got? Let's get on a row here. What you got? You didn't write anything. How about next to him? Cowardly. I heard that. Anything else, guys? Let's go one more. What you got? No, you. (laughs) You didn't write anything down? You guys, come on. What's the deal? What's the deal? I'm asking you to do something. Can you do this? Get with me. Try it. What you got? Off the top of your head, what four words come to mind? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Give me two more. 
smart and mind blank. Okay. All right, well, listen, that seemed to be extremely difficult for some of you, but let me tell you something. There are things that in this life, people always look to identify themselves by something, something they do, how strong you are, how fast you are, how smart you are, how successful you are. This world looks at you and assigns a value to you based upon some of the words that come to your mind, what you do, your self-image, who you think you are. But I want to give you something tonight that tells you how God views you. If we're going to ask God, what are the four words you describe somebody here with? Those four words are simply this. You are a Christian. You are a Christian. In our world today, because we are around the gospel so much, you're around church so much, we hear that word Christian, and it sometimes doesn't mean a whole lot. It's so familiar that you forget that your identity is so much more important for what Jesus has done with you than anything that we will ever do in our life. And what I want to show you tonight in this text is that if you're a follower of Christ, your identity is tied to something that Christ has done for you, and that is the thing that you need to celebrate. This is shocking. I mean, some of you have, have lived the, the devastating effects of watching friends of yours go down a pathway of depression, go down a pathway of just breaking down their minds, and some commit suicide. Just the absolutely devastating things that take place when you're fighting through the high school years. You're looking to find your identity. And this world comes at you saying, what are you going to do? I mean, how many times have you been asked, what are you going to do after high school? Those of you going into your senior year, how many times have you been asked, where are you going to go to college? Is that a question you get hit with? And you think, what's next? And you say, I don't know. But God tells us something tonight in this text. I want you to see this, that our identity is tied to something that Jesus has done. He gives us a little bit of a story here. In Luke chapter 10, it starts in verse 1 where he sends out a group of disciples. He says, verse 1, that the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of him to every city where he himself was going to come. He sends them out in pairs. So you got 35 teams of people going out across the entire area where Jesus was to eventually walk. And he says, verse 2, that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says, there are people out there who are on the cusp of getting saved. They're on the verge of getting saved. All they need is for someone to go along and present the gospel to him and watch what he does. But verse 3 says something really shocking. He says, go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He says, I send you out defenseless in the midst of a bunch of carnivores that can destroy you. You're going to face hostility. You're going to face danger. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says that he sends you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove that there's a certain character and a way we carry ourselves when we're out there in the world because the world hates Christ and hates a gospel witness. He tells them in verse 4 to go out without any self-reliance. Don't carry a purse or a money bag. Don't carry anything to provide for your needs. Let me just provide for you. His whole point is to get them to a place of total dependency upon God and just urgently get them going so that the gospel can be heard. The life of a disciple is simply saying, I'll go where you want me to. God's calling some of you into ministries, calling some of you into missions. I'm convinced that the greatest missionaries that the world will see are sitting right here. You just haven't figured it out yet. 
that some of the greatest acts of gospel proclamation that the world will see, the people who hear about Christ, that voice is sitting right here tonight. Because God's going to call you into ministry and call you into missions and send you to a hard place. And your response needs to be just like these disciples, where Jesus says, go, and you say, okay, I'll go. And all the excuses and all the explanations and other alternatives from our mind need to evaporate and just simply respond when Jesus calls. But all the great missionaries start with simply simple acts of obedience right where they are. You want to be used powerfully for Christ down the road? Start telling people about Christ now. I've challenged you this before in years past. If you're here, I don't know if it would ever come to mind, but you need to learn to live to be alone and be comfortable with being alone. Be comfortable being the only one standing for righteousness. Be comfortable being the only one who's going to do what's right when no one's looking and be the only one who's going to do what's right when no one else wants to be a part of it. Because that's the role that Jesus tells his disciples they got to walk. You got to get used to being the one who's going to stand for what's right when no one else even appreciates it. And so these disciples go out and they're filled with such excitement and joy and they have all their experience He tells them to move urgently. If someone doesn't listen to you, just move past it. Just keep going. Make sure everyone you interact with hears the gospel. But then look at verse 17. I want you to see what happens when they come back. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 10. It says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They come back like celebrating. This is a riot. This is a party. This is like the locker room after the Super Bowl. Just a total, absolute celebration. People coming back saying, Lord, even the demons, everyone is filled with joy because even the demons respond when they speak the truth. They gave up everything to follow Christ and their payment in return was energy, was joy, was celebration, was happiness. These missionaries invaded darkness on this missions team. And in doing so, they get to call people to repent, be used as salt and light. And they come back and they want to tell Jesus all about it. It reminds me of Luke chapter 9, verse 1. If you went back just a little bit earlier in the book, he calls his disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. They have that power because they go out and they proclaim the gospel in the name of Jesus. They're telling everyone who will hear about Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, what he will do, what he's claimed that he will do. And if they put their faith in him and trust him, they'll be saved. He's Lord, and when even the demons hear that, they respond and run. It'd be easy to come back and brag about all the things that they accomplish, and there's a lot of celebration in that. But what happens is their joy is placed in their efforts and their experience and the success that they had. And Jesus responds to all that joy with this statement about his power and his protection in verse 18. Listen to this. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. This is stunning. Like You know how it is when you show up at an event and you've got a story to tell and you start telling your story and then somebody else has a better story? You know that guy who always has a better story? Like when I was in high school, college, I got hit by lightning and I thought that I had the coolest story because I could go into any room and say, how many of y'all been hit by lightning? How many of you? See, it works like almost every time. I'm the only guy who's been hit by lightning. And like, I, I got that experience. I thought, I got the coolest story. I could tell you all about it. And then I meet an astronaut. And all of a sudden, he's got the coolest story. And my story is like stupid because he like has been in space for over a year. 
and he's got the coolest story. You always had that guy. Well, here these disciples come back, and they've got the coolest story about they saw the demons even fall under their power and under their control and under their word. And yet here comes Jesus, and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, I was there. I watched when Satan rebelled against all of God's power, when Satan asserted himself and said that he wanted to be in charge. I was there when he was evicted, when that assassin went after the throne of God, when his pride erupted and he was evicted. I was there. The book of Isaiah says that he had been cut down to earth, that he was thrown out. And in the past, Jesus says in a past tense way, I was there when Satan was evicted. And then in a present tense way, not only that, but he says every time the gospel is being proclaimed, Satan's being dethroned. You understand that's why it's so critical when you present the gospel to somebody, when you challenge someone to repent, what you are doing is dethroning Satan. You're engaging in spiritual warfare. That's why it's so hard sometimes for you to articulate and get that word out and get someone's attention and, and fight off all the distractions. What's going on is not just a simple conversation between you and somebody else. What's happening is you're assaulting the throne of Satan in that person's heart, telling them that he, this person needs to repent. And Jesus says that's what his gospel does. And in the past, he was there when Satan was evicted from heaven. In the present, as the, as the disciples were speaking, they're seeing Satan evicted from the throne of people's hearts. In the future, we see Satan cast into hell forever. Every single time that the gospel is presented, Satan is dethroned. That's what happens when we as Christians walk into a room and you're salt and light. You bring into a room something that holds back decay. You keep things from being as bad as they could be. You keep things from disintegrating and going into despair. You bring in light that brings hope. It illuminates the darkness and shows people a pathway forward. And that's what happens when these disciples go. You're on the winning team. You know how I know this? Because James says this in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You fight Satan and he will flee from you. And you do that by bringing the word of God into the conversation. When you're battling a temptation in your own heart, you bring the word of God into that setting. You refresh your mind in the scriptures. And when you do that, you're fighting off the temptation. And Jesus says, yes, there's a lot to be excited about. You saw the power of the gospel. It wasn't your power. It was the power of the gospel that caused the demons to flee. He says, I was there. Verse 19 gets even more interesting. He says, behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. That's a lot of protection, right? I mean, he's using figurative language. He's not trying to tell him, hey, go step on a scorpion and go step on a snake. Like, have you done that? It doesn't always work out too well. He's not saying that, that he, you're supposed to go find a water moccasin and try to stomp it to death. He's saying that all that the world will throw against you is still under God's control. Everything, every resistance, every force that's going to come at you is still under God's control. That was the whole lesson to Job. Remember Job from the Old Testament? Everything that had gone on in his life, everything that Satan brought against him, God still had under his control to prevent it from taking Job's life. All of it's under God's control. And so you've got this example of God's divine power on display, and that power 
is then a protection for us. He says at the end of verse 19, nothing's going to hurt you. Satan and all of his forces can't touch you. They can't hurt you. They know your name. They know what you're doing and they hate all of it and they're going to resist, but they can't take your life. Say, why will nothing hurt them? Listen to this verse. And this is so critical for you. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one's going to take away your salvation. Nothing can pull us away from the love of Christ. Nothing can take us away from the family of God. You can never be evicted, rejected, thrust away. Never. And because of that, we've got God's protection that's put upon us. Romans chapter 16, verse 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That you're fighting a lion, and scripture describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that lion that prowls about looking for someone to consume. But he's a toothless lion, and he may gum on you a bunch, but he's not going to destroy you. And what Jesus is telling us here is you've got so much power that God is pouring through us that we have nothing to fear. In fact, 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That was a lesson to those disciples. It's a lesson to us today that you have God who is giving you power. He's put his spirit inside of you. And when you walk onto your high school campus, when you walk into your job setting, when you go home tonight, some of you go home to an unsaved family that doesn't value your even presence here. And you walk into that context and you've got to put up with their mockery over your desire to study the word, your desire to be around other Christians, your desire to sing and sit out here on a hot night and do something like this. And you've got to remember that you have God who is in you and his power in you is greater than anything that's in this world. I love 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He's going to guard you from temptation. He's going to guard you from the assaults of the enemy. That's what he does. He goes before us and protects us. And so over and over again, I want you to hear what Jesus told his disciples is still true for us today, that he goes before us in ways we don't even see or know, but he's guarding and protecting us. And the source of all this is Jesus. He says, I have given you authority. I'm the one who is watching over you. I'm the one who's caring for you. That's what he does. But all of that aside, the thing that we need to see tonight, most importantly, is what he says in verse 20. And really, all I have for you tonight is just one big point, and it's this. Is your name in the book? Verse 20 says this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. I only have one point for you tonight. It's this. Is your name recorded in heaven? Is your name in that book? Don't celebrate who you are. Don't celebrate what you've done. Don't celebrate your potential, your capacity, who people think you are, any of those words you might have put down at the start. If you're going to celebrate something, celebrate that your name is written in heaven. You can't find anything on earth more encouraging than that. It doesn't matter what you do, what success you experience on this, experience on this earth. Nothing compares to knowing that your name is written in heaven, that your salvation is secure, your sin is forgiven, 
that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not the sinfulness you show up here with. That he looks at you as someone who is his own child, his son or his daughter. That's what it took to be written in this book. You look at things on this earth, your name's not written in the Guinness Book of World Records. Your name is not written in the principal's role. You probably didn't even get chosen for dodgeball. Like you're probably one of those people who like, you never even got recognized for anything. But your name is written in the book of life. What we do for Christ is never as exciting as knowing what he has done with us. Anything we do on this earth, anything we accomplish, even the things done for him that advance his gospel, none of that compares to the joy of knowing where our name is written, that we are his children. Do you understand what it took to get your name there? I know some of you don't, have, you don't know if your name is there. Maybe you, you've been around the church and you've heard the gospel a hundred times, and, but you still don't know if your name is written there. You got to understand what it took and what it takes to get your name put there. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's knowing that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf and to take our sin and put it on Christ. We get Christ's righteousness, he takes our sinfulness, and he gets nailed to the cross. It was Jesus Christ who was our substitute on that cross. It was Jesus Christ who was rejected, betrayed, abandoned, denied, condemned, spit on, falsely accused, falsely convicted, crucified, mocked, pierced, and forsaken by the Father so that we could be forgiven of sin. His power over sin and rising from the grave, his victory over death is what we get to grow and benefit from. He says, Romans chapter 8, 32, says he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. That he delivered Christ over to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can have his righteousness. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 and 7. Hey, listen. I spent the last eight years in Kentucky, and for a lot of that, I preached at a little church in a town called Sulphur. Sulphur Baptist Church. You'll never even find it on a map. Google it. I dare you to find it. The pulpit was 100 yards from the train tracks, and every single Sunday morning, like at 1125, a massive train would rip through. And it did that for like a hundred years. And so every single Sunday morning, halfway through the sermon, you got a massive freight train a hundred yards from the pulpit, shake the entire building. It's so funny how those things happen. So welcome to Kingsburg. We got boats. Listen to this. Romans chapter five, verse six and seven. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, it was Christ who died for us. What it took and what it takes to get your name written in that book is to know that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sin, that you've asked his forgiveness for our sin and we've put our faith, our belief in Jesus as the only one who can forgive us. And for those who have, we live a life that, yes, we still battle with sin, but we're not mastered by it. We're not controlled by it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
that there's no power of sin that's over us, that enslaves us. But we can have victory over sin because Christ paid for it on the cross and Christ rose from the grave. This is such a wonderful, powerful thing because when you know that your salvation is secure, when you know that you are safe from all harm eternally, it takes away fear. I want to challenge you with something. I want you to think about this for a minute. I want to challenge you when it comes to gospel ministry and things you might do for Christ to never again pray for safety. I want you to think about this for a second. In our culture in America, we've made an idol out of safety. How many times do you pray for safety? We're going to travel somewhere, safe drive, safe experience, whatever it is. I pray that everything comes back in the same condition that we sent it out. We have the word safety drilled into our minds so much that we only do what is safe. But when it comes to gospel ministry, do you know that never once in the Bible does, or in the New Testament particularly, does the Apostle Paul ever pray for safety? In fact, the only time he mentions it is in 1 Timothy when he talks about going to heaven, that I will safely get to my eternal home. The only time Paul talks about safety is what he will get on the other side of death. Everything else for us is surrender. To step before God and say, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be used the way you want me to be used. And I'll experience what you want me to experience because I know that you have all this under your control. I'm not gonna pray for your safety. I'm gonna pray for your preparedness. I'm gonna pray for your readiness. I'm gonna pray for your boldness, for your courage, that you will do what God's called you to do. 1 John 4, 8 says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. When you know you are loved perfectly, it takes away all fear. Uh, can I give you, girls, can I give you just a little pro tip on something? There's a lot of guys here today, and I think if we went around the room, we could find a lot of guys who are pretty brave and things they've done. But I can tell you the, most, the number one thing that scares every honest guy here. You wanna know what it is? The number one thing that scares every honest guy is a girl, right? You get around the guys, and when guys are, get around girls, they start doing stupid things. All of a sudden, they start acting stupid. They say stupid stuff. They get nervous. They act in different ways. All of a sudden, like this guy who's relatively mature gets around a girl, and they just become a bubbling idiot. That happens. That's because there's a fear in us of like, wow, I don't know how to act, and all of a sudden, I don't know what to do. But I'll tell you something that then changes that is when you know you're loved. Because when you know your love, that takes away all fear. You're not trying to impress. You're not trying to, to earn someone's trust. When you know that love is set upon you, there is such a joy and a peace that comes with that. And spiritually speaking, when we know we are loved by God, it takes away all fear. I don't have to be afraid about what people are going to think of me. I don't care. I don't have to be afraid of how someone close to me is going to respond when I bring the gospel to their front door or bring it up in conversation. I don't care because I'm loved by God and I want to be obedient to him. I challenge you this simple thought as we end tonight is, is your name in that book? Is your name written there? You might sit here tonight and say, yeah, I'm confident it is. I know it is. Wonderful. Awesome. If you're confident, confident your name is in that book, then live like it. 
go out there and assault Satan's throne room in people's hearts by bringing up the gospel, introducing that first, being the first one to get to the gospel. Make that a competition of how quickly can you introduce Jesus into any conversation you, talk, you go into with anybody. If you're here tonight and you're questioning if your name is in that book, don't leave here tonight with that question unanswered. Talk to me, talk to any of the leaders. Let's walk through what Jesus says about forgiveness of sin and how you can be confident tonight that you're saved. But if you're here tonight and you know for sure your name is not in that book, don't leave here with that condition. That is such a dangerous place to be because there is an eternity in hell apart from Christ that's just a breath away. And what Jesus says is even tonight, you can be confident in your salvation. You can be forgiven of sin. You can be his child if you just simply confess him as Lord and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you'll be saved. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the example of your disciples who were sent out, that they went through a whole countryside to explain your truth to others. And in doing so, Lord, they were just so blown away by your power and the power of your gospel to change lives. So thank you, Lord, for the way that you use them. And you look at us and you send us out with your commission to go into all the world and present the gospel. So Lord, make us bold to do that. I pray for each believer here tonight that even this week you would put them in front of others who don't know you and that you'd convict them and give them the urgency to present your gospel. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us that we can call you Father and out of your love for us that we can know our sins are forgiven and it takes away fear. So thank you, Lord, for your kindness that has led us to repentance. May we be bold to tell others about it too. In your name, amen.